Welcome to the podcast. I'm Carla Joy Treadway. I'm here to help you navigate nuanced conversations and explore topics that demand your attention and awareness. There is no topic off limits here. Together, we will seek to find the middle path, explore the polarities of darkness and light, left and right, grace and grit. As a writer, life coach, and seasoned yogi, I'm in the business of awareness and conscious action. I'm here to create space for the conversations that need to be had in order to create solutions that bridge the divide between humans. Sensemaking will use practical, logical, philosophical, and spiritual tools to help us gain well-rounded perspectives on issues that strike a chord. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. My name is Carla Joy Treadway. In today's episode, I am talking to Des from Northern California. Des's Instagram handle is Mother Prepper. Des lives in an urban area and she teaches people all about empowerment. As I form my membership, The Sovereign, I thought it was especially important to bring someone like Des on because this is a question that a lot of people grapple with as they look at the state of the world and they see people moving to farms, um, getting bigger pieces of land, prepping. And for all my city friends, a lot of them are stopping before this conversation even starts because they're worried that they just don't have what it takes. They don't have the resources. They don't have the space. And to be honest, for a a lot of my friends, it's causing a little bit of anxiety. So what I love about Des is not only is she hilarious, she makes the funniest um, reels and content on Instagram. She makes it practical. She makes it, it accessible. And she helps break that all or nothing thinking as people start their own preparedness journey. Because the reality is, it's just good adulting. We should be paying attention to the world, what's going on, and especially if we have a family, preparing accordingly. And like I like to say, prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Before we get into the show, I want to talk today uh, about our sponsors here briefly. You guys may or may not know, I am an integrated life coach. I've also been a yoga teacher trainer and transformational program facilitator for over 15 years. People work with me one-on-one. I help people build businesses. And this is a career that has brought me so much joy. Mostly because A, I get to help people through their seasons of change, but also it requires that I am personally always in the work. And that, my friends, is a real blessing to be in my daily practices, to always be learning, to always hire the very best mentors and coaches for myself so I can bring that to my work with people one-on-one. If you're not in a position to hire a coach one-on-one, I have a membership called The Sovereign. The Sovereign is a membership for a world gone wild. We teach you everything that you need so that you can feel grounded, rooted, and maintain a strong sense of self, no matter what happens in the world. We bring in experts to talk about everything from self-sustainability to natural nutrition, uh, to medicine, to canning. But honestly, that's just the surface of our work together. 
where the real work is, is building you up from the inside out. It's strengthening your resolve, your confidence, your self-trust in your own ability to pivot and handle the world no matter what comes your way. You can find the link to join the Sovereign in the show notes or head on over to my website, carlajoytreadway.com. Let's get into the show. All right, everyone, welcome to the show. I'm Carla Joy Treadway, and today I have with me Des, or you might know her as Mother Prepper. Des, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's exciting to be here. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, I found Des on Instagram. Uh, Des is hilarious. She gives practical and inspirational, um, I'm butchering this intro, but she gives content all around urban prepping, micro homesteading, and things that everyone needs to know, whether you live in a city um, or a major center in an apartment and a house or out in the country, these are empowering steps that anyone can take in order to prepare for anything. Does that sound about right? Does that summarize? Yeah, your- I'm, that was very <laughs> gracious. I was like, oh, 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 crap. I'm gonna have to speak to all of this. But no, I, I try my best to normalize prepping in the way that you probably don't see online. There's a lot of gloom and doom. The end of the world is going to end tomorrow. And while those accounts have a very different like audience and probably vision and, and message, I try to just approach prepping in the everyday practical, just like you mentioned, where everybody can take a piece of ownership of their own preparedness journey and see that evolve over time. And it's easy to do anywhere you live. And that's why I think that urban prepping is probably one of the more interesting topics simply because I was very much in the crowd of thinking, oh, because I don't have land and acreage, there's not a lot I can do. And that's completely false. So I'm happy to be here and talk about it. I think that is, it's so important what you're doing, because I I run this membership where we talk, prepping is one small element. And I notice a lot of people checking out from that conversation completely, because they're like, oh, I don't have a homestead, the end. And it's Mm. really binary thinking. Um, Because you're right, there's there's so much you can do. I mean, you can choose yeah. to do nothing. <laughs> Doesn't mean you have to do everything, but there's always somewhere in the middle that you can do where you can go. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I feel like a lot of people I encounter, if they haven't already started their own preparedness journey, there's a little bit of analysis paralysis going on. I know I was guilty of that too, right? You feel you feel like there's so much to do and you might be at a disadvantage because because you are living and and working and existing in a either city environment or suburban environment you're like ah well there's not a lot I can do so I'm not even gonna start so it's it can feel like very anxiety prompting and um that's just simply not true right even something as um difficult in some people's eyes like gardening you would think gardening you would need this vast amount of land you've got to have like 27 varieties of lettuce no, grow what you know you can consume, even if it's something like seasonal strawberries. Now you have an idea of what to expect that would grow in your climate, in your soil, whether it's your native soil or some soil that you bought from the store. But I think you're challenging yourself to develop these skills moreover than what you're actually able to grow and, and produce in your garden. And let me tell you, if anybody's listening that has ever tried gardening, you're going to fuck up. You're going to fuck up every year. 
because there's, there's things that you're learning and gardening is a small example and preparedness of what can really teach you things year over year and humble you because what may have been an extremely great harvest one year suddenly is having challenges because of a small change the next. So a lot of what I try to, to talk about on my page is a combination of, you know, obviously things that you can, can acquire and stock up on like food and building a good food inventory and knowing how to rotate that. But it's also heavily skills uh, based on what you can actually start, you know, with baby steps to change and develop those skill sets. So you're a little bit more self-reliant to, you know, tomorrow than you were the day before. So it's, it's a journey by all means. It's not going to Costco or Sam's or anywhere wholesale and buying up the store and like, Oh, that's it. I'm prepared. I've got 27 million pounds of and rolls of toilet paper. I'm done. It's an, on- <laughs> <laughs> it's an ongoing journey that gets you closer to self-reliance and understanding where you can kind of disconnect and be less reliant on things that, um, you know, you would normally feel that you were chained to like a grocery store. I can't tell you how many people have done just a simple herb garden. They're like, I don't have to buy basil. That's crazy. You know, something, <laughs> something that small, there's a sense of empowerment that comes with it as you're building these skills. So it's, it's a lot of what you can change every day to just get closer to the skills that you really want to hone in on. I love that. So it's more about the skill development than it is just about hoarding. And that really draws attention to society as a whole is pretty dependent. Most of us are pretty dependent. Like we're ordering Uber Eats and everything is like Amazon and press of a button. And like that, that conversation that you just had about gardening, I am not the kind of person that's going to read books and watch YouTube videos and really like nail down this gardening thing. I just kind of go out there like a hack, figure it out, get my hands in the dirt. Yeah. And you have to do that. I could read the books and I could invest in like long detailed YouTube videos, but it really is trial and error. That's why Mm -hmm. we have to start learning now. Um, Yeah. I have a yoga teacher that says, um, you don't want to learn how to swim when you're drowning in the ocean. Yeah. Nobody wants that because, and that's what I think a lot of people think is that, oh, when a disaster happens, I have some seeds out back and I could just throw them in the ground. No, you're going to need to, could you? Yes. Would you be super successful? Maybe not. If you have no idea what your climate, like what produces well in your climate, um, you know, what to expect as far as your soil. If you're trying to grow stuff in clay, like I have out here, not much is going to really come through. So it, sometimes you really just got to go for it and try it and make mistakes. It's how we learn. Right. And, and there's a ton of different ways to tackle something as simple as gardening and your preparedness journey. I probably the number one, um, apprehension that is expressed when, when I talk about this is, Oh, I don't have the space. Okay. There are so many vertical gardens. There's container gardens, a good friend of mine, she's growing and she's in a rental property. So you can't quite like put anything super permanent in there, right? She literally took the Costco big container bins, drilled some holes in the bottom, filled it with some dirt and was like, great, garden bed. Perfect. It works, right? There's, you can grow anywhere, anything. You just got to try it out, see what works, make some small changes and you'd be so surprised in what you get done. And honestly, it's probably one of the most fulfilling pieces of my life 
preparedness journey. It kind of reminds me of like Tom Hanks and Castaway, where he's like, Castaway, where he's like, I have made fire. You feel like that when you see these little sprouts come out of the ground, you're like, holy fuck, I'm growing something. I'm growing something. So, I mean, I could talk on and on about just about gardening, but it's gardening and growing your food and being close to that is just one small piece of preparedness, but it's one of the most fulfilling ones for sure. Let's let's go to the beginning. Um, What made you start to decide that this was uh, something important to focus on? I would say, so I live in Northern California. So I'm, I'm setting the stage because at any given time, our entire fucking state's on fire. So like between fires and floods, because it's so dry. And then when it does rain, the, the clouds are like, oh yeah, well, here you go. So it's, it's too much water at one time in a dry climate. So kind of setting the scene there in 2017, we just had back-to-back kind of natural I don't want to say disasters, but they were just not good periods of time. We had insane drought. We had terrible summers. And I'm talking about, we use Fahrenheit up in America. So, I mean, over in America. So it was like plus, it was like over 110 for multiple days. That's hot and it's dry. So we just had a crazy drought. And then all of a sudden we had incredible rains. Now, the challenge with that in 2017, where I was, was the the ground just couldn't absorb enough water. So there was flash flooding warnings happening in areas that were close by to my, my town or where I live. So even though I wasn't immediately impacted by these flash floods and our levee possibly breaking and then flooding suburban areas, even though I was a bit removed from that space, it dawned on us and I didn't have um, any children at the time. My husband and I were, we were not prepared. Like if we suddenly had to leave our home, we would have no idea where to start. We would probably grab the dog, grab like some documentation, like our passports and stuff and make sure like we got that. And then what, where the heck, would, where do we go? Is our, does our car even have gas? <laughs> so we just had no plan and it was very unsettling. Uh, for me, at least, because I'm just I'm a planner. And when I was thinking through these very real situations, and that doesn't even cover if there's a fire nearby, which was the more realistic situation, because fire moves fast, we have high winds out here. At any given time, if we needed to flee, we had no plan and no destination. So from there, I really started to just casually prepare. And I mean that in the like best of terms, like I would grab a little bit of food, more food that I know we cut we commonly we'll eat like maybe an extra bag of rice because we like to make rice here and then extra cans of food here. And then I started to really take things like my self-defense more, you know, more seriously. I took to the time to understand where would I go if there was an emergency? What is the road that's probably not going to be congested because I'm avoiding freeways and highways? So you start to kind of create this web of preparedness in your own mind. And it's a very personal journey because Every family is going to look a little bit different. I didn't have children at the time, but now that I do, what I prep for has changed where I'm going to probably go and my exit, my bug out route is going to be different because I've got kids, you know, so it started very innocent with just knowing we were kind of going through some back-to-back natural, like strenuous times where I immediately was and realizing there wasn't a plan. So I'm pretty gifted in my journey where I didn't lose a house to have to come to the realization 
that I need to be prepared. There are people who it dawns on them in, like you said, when you're drowning in the ocean. And if I could help share the message of preparing, even at your own pace and save somebody from that, then, then th- I feel like that is my contribution back because it dawned on me. And I realized nobody was really talking about that in my inner circles, right? We've accepted insurance policies and warranties to just be the normal thing when we buy something, right? Or uh, we have insurance in the house or life insurance, you know, uh, uh, for your family. But why, why do we look at preparedness and prepping not in the same light? So I try my best to normalize that just as much as insurance and warranties, because you pray to God, you're never going to have to use it, but damn, you're so grateful you have it if shit hits the fan. So that's kind of been my journey. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm some crazy expert that's got certifications in prepping. If they exist, that would be really cool. But I'm just sharing my own journey and hopefully inspiring others to do the same. And I learned so much of what I have made my own from people I encounter like yourself, whether it's, you know, on social media platforms or just awesome communities like this one where it's really involved in those conversations. Why is it that um, why, why don't you think that people give this stuff any time of day? I think it's a combination of no one really wants to think that they could potentially be in danger in this way, whether it's in danger of losing your home or in danger of your, you know, being in a place where you would have to use self-defense to defend your life or your, your loved ones. I don't think anybody really wants to go there mentally and think about like the worst case situations. And therefore we don't really plan about it because we're not scared of the potential of what could happen. We never even allow ourselves to really go there and think like, okay, if there was a sudden economic collapse, what would I do? And I also feel like we're such in an age of hyper-reliance on convenience, like the Ubers, the, uh, the door dashes, the Instacarts, right? We're so reliant on these super hyper-convenient processes and, and options that exist that we've lost sight of like cooking for yourself, like trying to find food for yourself. We just assume it's always going to be at a grocery store and the last couple of years alone have shown us that that's not always the case. I know people were freaking out when shelves were bare and that's very much a reality of what could happen. And that was a small disruption in the, the logistics chain worldwide. Imagine if there was a much larger disaster that impacted these delivery chains for months, what would people do? So I think the silver lining was it was a glimpse into what could happen if it was a larger incident, but people don't really think it could ever happen to them. Therefore, we don't prepare. Um, but if you talk to anybody who's survived, you know, a hurricane out here or a natural disaster or suddenly lost their job and couldn't f- put food on the table, they won't say that. They will not say that their feedback. So is you put some, put something away for a rainy day, whether that, that means, you know, having an emergency fund to pay for the bills or having some extra food um, for just in case I have yet to meet one person that have, has survived that and doesn't, don't think, you know, doesn't think that prepping is important. Mm-hmm. What's the first thing that you went to when you decided that you need to start preparing in some way? What was the thing you're like, that, that's easy. I can start there. Food. 
And I think that's definitely on everybody's mind right now, especially coming out of a place where we had bare shelves in many locations. We still do. We st- so I'm not saying that we're out of it. It's still very much an impact for a lot of people and even harder if you live in remote areas. So food is absolutely something that you can get a handle on very quickly. And what I mean by that is it, I don't mean rush out and buy 27 pallets of spam. I mean, if you like spam, go for it. But what I'm saying is take a look at what you know your family normally consumes as far as food, right? What are, what are ingredients that you find yourself buying often? You know how to cook with these ingredients. If you have, you know, uh, kitchen favorites that you normally gravitate towards, stock up on those foods and understand how you're going to build a working pantry and rotation so that as you, as you use up what's like the, the flour that's in the container on your counter, you have an option to backfill that from, you know, part of your pantry. You don't have to necessarily rush out to the store every time. So food is absolutely something we can all control a little bit better. Um, so that's, that's where I would start knowing what you normally eat, buying extra of what you normally eat, and then taking the time to understand what can I do to build a good rotation plan so that I'm constantly using and then refilling what I uh, know I need to be buying. That's a good point. Buy food that you're actually going to eat. Don't stock up on, you know, lentils. Because <laughs> oh that's what gosh. you're other people doing. <laughs> yeah. I... I may, I will admit I've made that mistake. I don't eat beans. I don't even cook with beans. Did I buy dried beans? Absolutely. I and guess too. what? They're, they're still in the bag. <laughs> they're still in the bag. I mean, they don't, they don't expire for a handful of years. You know, I, I, I preserve them in my life, extended their shelf life, but I don't have a damn recipe where I'm going to use beans anytime soon. And so like, I, I have fallen victim to that as well. I just, I, we don't eat beans. When the lockdowns happened, my husband's very first mass purchase that he made, he went out and got pallets of Budweiser. <laughs> He's not even a big drinker. It's just the only beer that he likes. And then he heard oh that my his God. friend Kevin had bought like $1,000 with a Bud and he panicked. And he went out and spent a few thousand dollars worth of Bud and stocked up. <laughs> We are all victims. So that, that panic that you described is contagious, right? We saw, we saw that all the time with toilet paper, people would panic that they couldn't get their hands on paper goods. And what did they do? They bought pallets and truckloads of toilet paper. I'm like, how many asses are you wiping? First of all, (laughs) second, have you heard of a bidet? You know? And so it, it was a frenzy. For the dumbest reasons, right? There was there possibility of not getting your hands on paper goods immediately just because of disruption in, in delivery chains? Absolutely. But to the magnitude that we saw people hoarding toilet paper, I mean, that kind of frenzy, it's contagious. And I'll tell you, when you're really serious about your prepping journey and knowing what your family needs and constantly getting in this habit of thinking ahead and buying ahead you don't panic when that shit happens again. You know, you're not in line with people at Costco who are already emotionally ramped up because they probably have no food at home and they're panicking, right? You're not, you're not with that frenzy. Cause I'll tell you, and especially in an urban environment, people 
people can be your uh, the most amazing asset. You can build community with people. You can have a communal garden. You can share and barter amongst each other, and you can work with each other to hone and hone in on these very key skills when it comes to survival. But people will also be your worst nightmare and your big biggest risk in an urban environment. So they're your best asset in some in most cases, but they're also your biggest risk because the the desire for self-preservation is strong. So if you meet if you are in the wrong spot and there's a panicked crowd and you got what they want, I mean, it's very easy to see where that can go. We've seen all the all we've seen it all the time in movies in Hollywood, panicked frenzies and chaos. And so that's why urban preparedness is a little bit different than if you had land that was kind of remote and no one was really around you. You kind of just have to be aware of different scenarios and how they might play out when you're in a densely populated area. That's right. There was a flood in BC on the west coast of Canada, and it took two days for there to be no gas or food. Two days. And that's that's why it's important to build this up when there is no problem. This is why it's important to focus on this when it's not scary. Because that's the thing. It's not scary when you think about these things when everything is fine. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, you know, people were, people were stocking up on gasoline over here when it was $7 a gallon. And I mean, although I will never say that it's not a good idea to have some on reserve, are we are we a little late to the the game as far as you know trying to get some reserves built up? You know, and a lot of people, you know, when you kind of get in the mode of, of preparedness, you kind of can see the writing on the wall a little bit easier. So you know, if there's conflict in certain areas, especially that supply barrels of oil and what that means for the eventual cost of the gasoline that you need you're kind of always looking ahead and you're, you're able to identify what those risks might be and how that will impact you and your family more readily. So it's, it's definitely something that just comes with, with time and, and knowing what's happening with global events, but you get really keen on that as you really progress in your preparedness journey. You're not just in your bubble where you think nothing will impact you because you live in a nice shiny city and things don't happen in a nice shiny city, but guess what they do and it impacts everybody. So I think preparedness overall has really helped me become a more aware consumer, but also mm-hmm. somebody who is paying more attention to these global event, uh, global events and understanding what, what impact that might have in my area. Mm-hmm. I feel like people in urban areas um, are at an advantage in terms of, of fuel. Um, like if you guys can't get fuel, everything, like you can still get to the store, you can walk places, there's probably public transportation. Um, I think there is a real advantage to being in an urban area. Plus you can't stockpile gasoline for long periods of time. Right. But that's something that I live in the sticks. We live on an island. We take boats. We need big trucks and quads. We have a float plane that we use for hunting. Uh, if we had no fuel, that means I'm literally in a canoe. I'm in mm. big trouble. That's something yeah. I haven't figured out on my preparedness journey. But for city friends, it's it's okay. You can run out of gas for a little bit. 
It is, it's, it's definitely twofold, right? There's a pros and cons to everything that's different about urban preparedness. Could we walk to the grocery store? Probably. Are we going to be in danger on our way to the store and get mugged? Probably. Because if times are really, really dire, mm-hmm. you don't quite know what you're walking into. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that everybody in an urban environment lives in like a dicey area and, you know, has to be walking the streets afraid. I'm just saying when you increase the number of people living in proximity of each other in an emotionally heightened state, you want to be more aware. You want to know, you want to completely avoid having to go to the grocery store if you can, you know? So there's, there's a lot of things and it just forces you to really be keen and understanding where you are, where you live, what your needs are. And there's a sense of empowerment that comes with that, you know, every week that you practice that a little bit more. So food was the first thing realize, mm-hmm. okay, that's not too bad just to like grab a couple extra of what I'm buying anyways, and, and building that up. What, what was the next go-to? For me personally, in my journey, and this is going to be different for everybody. For me, we really focused on building a good understanding of food, rotating, organizing that. Because again, when you live in an urban environment, unlike, you know, living in your countryside, you don't have a lot of room. So figuring out where the hell shit was going to go, I was like, uh, sorry, person who comes to my guest room, your closet is now my second pantry. So that's always tough, you know, when you are in urban areas, but Uh, The other thing that comes to mind as far as being next on my list of preparedness was self-defense. And maybe this is because I'm a woman and maybe because this is I'm I'm a mother and I have a daughter. Self-defense for me was very much um, one of the top three. So really understanding, okay, what am I comfortable exploring in terms of self-defense. And that could be a number of things that could be, you know, um, that could be taking training to carry self-defense tools of your choice, whether that is a firearm, whether that's a knife, pepper spray, understanding how it works, feeling comfortable to take it with me. Um, Self-defense could also be taking on a, uh, a combat sport you know, learning how to use martial arts to protect yourself or anything like that. It could also just be being very aware and taking it upon yourself to be really good at practicing situational awareness. You could have all of those things. You could have, you know, all the self-defense tools that you carry. You could be a black belt, but if you don't know how to look around when things feel weird, then it's not really going to help you and you're going to be at a disadvantage. So any of, even though there's a number of ways you can go about taking, you know, being more prepared in terms of self-defense, situational awareness will always be king. So even if you don't feel comfortable to start that journey, you can essentially start by just training yourself to be more situationally aware when you go to the store and things, small changes. Don't be on your phone if you're going from the parking lot to the grocery store. Look around. If things look out of place, if it's July and it's over a hundred degrees and somebody's in a trench coat, maybe ask yourself, why is that? So there's, there's a number, there's a number of ways to, to go about that. But for me, what was next was taking my personal self-defense more seriously. One simple thing that I learned in, in self-defense 
was they don't go after difficult targets. So if you're walking around with like your shoulders slunched forward and you look like sad and weak and you have like your hood on, you're like perfect victim mm-hmm. right there. So even just like walking around with like your head held high and like your shoulders back and like super alert, they don't want to approach someone like that. No, you're a hard target. They don't want that. And some people have even been so, you know, gone so far where they make more eye contact or they say hello or they say, hey, I like your glasses. You know, there are ways to kind of thwart that type of attack just by simple personal connection like that. Because now if you were originally targeted, now they know you see them. I don't know. That's going to, if I was trying to attack somebody, I would be less inclined to go that route because now she knows what I look like. Now she knows I'm looking at her. Right. Mm-hmm. So I love that tip because I think that is one of the, the best ways to not only be more aware of your surroundings, but make a connection and make sure that you you let them know, hey, I, you're seen. I, I see you. Right. Mm-hmm. So I love that. And I wish more people would talk about that tip. That's a great one. Now, in your urban area, what little I've seen just from Instagram, <laughs> yeah. um, you have a guard like you have multiple garden boxes, you have chickens, like you have a lot of things that people in urban areas think that they can't have. Yes. I, I wanted to challenge myself to really take, I call it my micro homestead. Um, and basically it's my, my attempt to do all the things that I would want to do in a homestead, but on a much smaller scale. And it gets even smaller for some people and it's totally fruitful and, and like it can be done. Um, I used the side of my yard that gets the most sun and we convert it. We planted, you know, we have six raised beds cause our soil is shit. Um, so we have six raised bed and I really wanted to make sure I grew what I know we we're going to eat. And I just started planting stuff. The first year was terrible. I was like, I'm not doing this ever again. This is stupid. But I really started to realize, uh, you know, even though overall it didn't go well, I still got some really amazing fruit and the experience was there. And it was an opportunity for me to teach my daughter this too, to connect with where our food is from. So I gave it a second go. And this is my second year, much different, different experience. And it really just took small changes and understanding, you know, what's probably going to work best and what's, what's, what's not. And then I had to get chickens. I looked up really quick and I said, can I get chickens into my city? And they're like, yes, with some restrictions. I was like, all right, I won't get a rooster. I'm going to limit it to how many chickens are like the limit, but I'm getting chickens, damn it. And I was determined, right? Not only because chickens, like having a source of eggs and meat potentially was, was beneficial for my own preparedness journey from the food aspect, but also teaching my daughter to respect where our food comes from was mm-hmm. such an eye opener because we are so, it's so easy to just go to the store and create, like continue this dependence on convenience and say, this is where we get chicken. It's nice and wrapped and it's clean. And here's where we get eggs and look how pretty and perfect they are. Life's not like that. Sometimes you get eggs and it has poop on it. Okay. So like, let's just be real. Like that's realistic. And so I really wanted to use this opportunity, not only to force myself to get really good at these skills, 
but to also share this experience with my, my daughter and the other kids that are in our, our neighborhood, because we don't get the opportunity to really be close to our food in this way where we are in suburbia land. So I, um, I was super, super headstrong on making it work. I built the coop because I could not find a coop that would fit my yard for the life of me and my budget. I was like, I'm not buying a thousand dollar coop. That's like this big, crazy. I'll get some two by fours. So it took a little bit longer than I wanted, but we made it work and it would, it's been an incredible experience and I can't wait to like, see what I want to add next year. I can't add goats. Okay. Some people keep sending me recommendations to get a goat because God knows I can't get a cow. So they're like, just get a goat. I can't get a goat. My husband's vetoed that. I'll keep working on it, but I can't get a goat right now. We were also in the goat battle. Um, we, oh. we have a decent <laughs> Did you get the goat? And well, so we, we have the chickens for sure. We got a garden and I was like, Dan, we need to get a goat so that like I can get goat milk and like we could eat the goat if we had to. Yeah. And this was when we were watching what was happening with Ukraine. And I was like, I think, I think we need animals now. And he's like, what are you going to feed the goat if you can't get grain? Yeah. And I was like, damn, I didn't yeah, think of that. That's but a I, real I have, question. I've since found solutions, but chickens are the easiest things in the world because they can they eat are. your food. They can eat your rotten food. They make compost to help your garden grow. Like yes. it's very cyclical with chickens. Chickens, I mean, even their eggshells, you can like crunch them up and put them back into your garden as like an additive to the soil. So for us chickens, the fact that we were even able to have chickens was such a blessing because I'll tell you, there's a lot of people I talk to online that really want to try this urban micro homesteading and in their HOA or their community guidelines, they cannot have chickens. There are a lot of other avenues you can explore. Like I know a lot of people that have quail, you know, quail can produce eggs. I want to say at eight or nine weeks old. That's insane. It took me like months for my damn chickens to lay their first first egg, but quail. Yeah. Quail good for meat, good for eggs. You know, they're just smaller. You know, a lot of people say like, okay, I can't have chickens. I'm going to have rabbits. You can have meat rabbits. The nice thing about rabbits as well is that they're, um, their poop is fertilizer right away. Chickens, you got to let it sit for a little bit and kind of let it bake down. But rabbits are another great source. And let's say you can't have any animals. Mm -hmm. There are so many many people I know that have worm farms. No, they're way. just containers. I swear to God, they have containers uh, and like tiers that just for worms. And they can. It's an incredible revenue source for them because they sell the worms for bait. They sell the uh, casings and the soil that, uh, that are left from the worms. And it's so rich in nutrients and they make income off of that. And they have zero animals on their micro homestead. Isn't that insane? Worm farms, worm farms. I need a worm farm. Yeah. Well, there's a big, <laughs> there's a big push for crickets too. These days you could have a little yeah, cricket farm, make some cricket protein. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's a stress for me, but I'm not eating bugs if I can avoid it, but I'm sure they're packed with nutrients, but yeah, there's, there's so many options. I think uh, people are, are very easy to think of the reasons not to start than the reasons to start. Cause I'm not going to lie. It takes effort. It's hard, but the rewards are tenfold. So mm -hmm. if you're really, if you desire to get better at your 
being closer to your food and having a stronger sense of self-reliance when it comes to your food, I would totally invite you to start a micro homestead. Even if you're growing herbs, they make some amazing tower gardens that you can use indoors now, right? What you can have the, the tower gardens to save space outdoors, but they make some incredible indoor tower gardens that have a very small floor footprint. Incredible. I've seen people have whole harvests just on these tower gardens alone. And it's really so awesome to see. And these are people who thought they would never be able to grow anything because they live in an apartment in New York and there's not even a patio type of thing. I've been looking at those as well because it's really, really cold here in the wintertime. We have a short growing season. Yeah. Uh, And I was like, what what if I actually really needed to grow fresh food? What Mm -hmm. would I do? That's a great option. I, if I can get my guest room in order, maybe I'll get one too, because there's times where it's the opposite issue for me. It's too hot. We had Mm -hmm. 117 for multiple days. It seared everything. It was like Satan's asshole in my garden for multiple days. It was terrible. It killed everything. So I would be super interested in, in growing with the tower garden indoors too, because I can control the climate a little bit better. So going down this journey and being like, obviously it opens up more doors. Like, oh my God, I never thought about this. Um, Like I I did a workshop, for example, about being free. You know, everyone talks about Mm -hmm. being free right now. And I'm like, do you actually know what that means? Yeah. And we went down the list of all the things that they might need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything from power, heat, water, like all these things. And you just watch people look in shock, like, oh my God, I didn't think about all of those things. All of those things. I think an easy way is to encourage people to have this exercise of, okay, what if your power was shut off? Just your electricity, that doesn't even cover gas yet, right? Let's say your electricity is shut off. What would you do for lighting? What would you do for warmth? What would you do for energy? Right. I think we're just so dependent on things like the lights always being on. We don't ever think about situations where that could stop. So going through these scenarios um, have been helpful for me because it forces me to say, okay, do I have a lights out kind of like box where I have matches, candles? And do I have a battery pack that I keep charged if I need to suddenly charge my phone and, uh, you know, I'm not near uh, an energy source? So it does take time and it does take the conscious effort to go through the, go through these scenarios, but you learn a lot. You learn a lot about yourself and your own personal readiness. I remember when I was like, Oh yeah, I'm sure I have candles somewhere, you know, if the Mm -hmm. lights go out and then we had somebody drove their car into a local transformer. So it wasn't even like a natural disaster. It was a car (laughs) into a transformer. (laughs) They were fine, but I'm just saying like our lights were out for a good day. And I was like, ah, where are those damn candles that I talked about? And I couldn't find them. So sometimes it's like, do you have it? Isn't so much the question, is it readily available for you to be able to use is the other piece of that. So thinking about all these situations, um, do you find yourself more scared of the world or less scared now? I would say absolutely less scared because I have a better understanding of how I will react if these situations happen. Because the, the truth is in an urban environment, if shit hits the fan, you're more likely to bug out than you are to bug in. 
and I'll explain. So you're more likely to be prepared to flee to a safer environment than to stay put and stick it out. And the reason I bring that up is, again, it goes back to the people density, right? Do you want to be a sitting duck if you have a very dense population? And this is going to vary for everybody. So this is an exercise you're going to need to ask yourself if you live in these urban or suburban environments. Do you feel confident that you would be safe where you live and you have enough supplies if you wanted to bug in? Or do you feel that you would be a target and you would know how to be prepared to suddenly, you know, flee within 10 minutes? Are you prepped being able to say like, all right, load up the car, we're going to go. You know, are you equipped to be and have a plan to be able to say, I can run this drill of evacuation in 10 minutes with my family. So for us, where we are, we're in a very densely populated area and traffic alone can get dicey very quickly. So my family is more inclined to bug out if there's a situation and we've come to the, you know, the realization that there's probably going to be some stuff that is left behind. That's fine. You can't take it all. And I don't think you would want to take it all because it'll weigh you down if you're trying to flee quickly. But we have bug out bags. We have copies of important documentation. We have centralized area where we keep a lot of the things we know we would grab and go. Um, and that, you know, when we do drills of like, all right, pack up the car. How quick does it take us? We know where we can try to shave off time and what roads we want to take to avoid major freeways and highways. Otherwise, we'd just be stuck in gridlock. So that is... The bugging out versus bugging in is something every family should have a conversation about and weigh the options and make a plan according to what you know is going to be best. But I feel a My lot better. Uh, do, go ahead. Sorry. My friend Kate has a GTFO bag for the whole family, just like packed and ready to go. And you know, that's something I've never thought of in terms of prepping. Whenever I think prepping, I think of, yeah, pantry, supplies. I think of bugging in always. Mm -hmm. And I think that conversation about what if you needed to flee is an important one. Because yeah. I'm going to say something big and scary that's kind of on everybody's mind, but no one's talking about it right now. They're like, they're talking about nuclear bombs right now. Now that's not something that I can bug in. I I can where we live probably hopefully in the super rural area. Mm -hmm. But if you think about that big and scary thing that most people really don't want to think about, like, please don't even say that thing. Yeah, you do want a GTFO bag and a mm -hmm. plan to get out of major metropolitan areas. Yes, you don't want to be stuck. And so I had actually sent you something if you want to share with your community. And these are just basic categories to cover for a bug out bag. And I've used this in my own planning. And so if it's all right with you, I can kind of just read off the categories. But I know you you have this to share with your, your community. Yeah, if I'd that's all right. It. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So bug out bag supply list, it's going to vary. So this is highly personal everybody's bag is going to look different, right? Uh, but first, I would recommend each family member have their own bug out bag. And there's a balance between do I pack too much shit? Is it or is it now too heavy for me to pack? So be mindful of who's going to be actually carrying this bag and, and make, you know, make the decisions of what to pack. But 
Some categories to just make sure that you cover in your bug out bag are light and warmth, right? And there's a multitude of options there between headlamps, matches, flashlights with batteries, hand crank lights. There's a ton of options. So light and warmth, and that could cover, uh, you know, having packing an extra jacket or packing those hand, those pocket warmers that are activated with oxygen. There's a number of ways there. Another one, of course, is food and water. So this is something that you'll have to rotate through your bug out bag. I say, I would like to say every season change. So every season change, just do a quick inventory check of what you have in your bug out bag and swap out things that have probably expired or you probably need to change them out. And that usually means the food and water piece, but including some food and water and food and water doesn't just have to mean, hey, pack some extra granola in a water bottle. Food and water can also cover, you know, do you have a filtration straw that you can use if you find a body of water that might be contaminated? Or do you have water purification tablets at the ready just in case you come across stagnant water that seems dicey? So food and water is another category. Uh, first aid and medical. I know this one's often overlooked because you don't really think you're going to get in injured on your evacuation route, but it can happen. So having some basic first aid and some medical knowledge, and that could also mean just having a medical handbook that you can reference if you slice open your leg, trying to jump a fence to flee somewhere. You want to just be prepared on what you can do to treat um, in the moment. Uh, so first aid and medical, another category that um, is often overlooks, overlooked is communications and navigation. And that mm -hmm. could look like a number of things. It could be a map of your general area or a compass. Like, mm -hmm. do you know how to use a compass? <laughs> a lot of people don't know how to use a compass. So getting really familiar with what tools you might be able to pack that are small and lightweight, but, but helpful as far as communications and navigation. Um, you know, like in our car kit, we've adopted a lot of these same categories. So not only do I have maps in my car kit, but I also have a road flare because you can see that in the dark or a signal mirror. So if you're in a in an area and you're trying to signal for help and you can't yell, you could use a mirror to kind of shine the light and, and create some, you know, draw attention to your location if you need to. So communication. Whoa, whoa, whoa. A real map, not Google Maps. Yeah, a cell. real, we'll just, a real we'll map. Cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> no, you won't because you won't have battery to charge it in most cases or signal. But yes, a real physical map. Yes. Um, another category is shelter and clothing. And that could mean, again, a, just a jacket that you probably don't wear anymore, but it still fits you. You could pack that. Um, or like a really small tarp just to make sure that, or a poncho even. So some kind of shelter and, and clothing because you never know what the environment will look like when you're fleeing. Like, are you fleeing and you forgot shoes? Do you have extra shoes somewhere? The little things like that or, or socks, right? Um, mm -hmm. Another category, and I'm sorry, there's one, two, three, there's eight that I'm going through. So okay. uh, another category that I would recommend being prepped for is personal hygiene. A toothbrush, toothpaste, bar soap, they go really far. And not so much to say like it's life-threatening, but hygiene is important, especially when it comes to first aid and cleanliness and sanitation. So if you have the space to include, you know, like a toothbrush, some floss, a bar of soap, I mean, even if you're fleeing and you'll have access to those things to stay clean and feel human, 
That's always Mm -hmm. a plus. So personal hygiene, especially feminine products too. In my bag, what's different than my husband's bag is I have a pack of feminine products because I'm a woman. We go through Mm -hmm. this time of month and I don't know what time of the month I'm going to be fleeing. So I need to be prepared. Like, sorry, fire. This is a really bad week for me. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Sorry, fire. I'm kind of, it's the time of the month. Could we postpone this like a week? You know, that's not, no, it's not going to work like that. Uh, (laughs) um, The last two categories I would be, uh, I would say are are good to cover. One being tools and defense is kind of coupled together. Um, And that could be, that could be a personal alarm. That could be a hatchet or a, pocket knife that you want to keep with you. Um, that could mean a lot of things for a lot of people. And so take it upon yourself to make that personal decision of what you want to carry for tools and defense, because there are many times even having a screwdriver, which is a tool can be useful for a lot of different situations. So just think through what tools you would commonly use. And sometimes tool is a can opener, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes the tools that you really need are so basic. You can get them at a lot of places like a can opener. So if there's one tool, I would please advise everybody to pack, actually two, two tools I would advise everybody to pack, a can opener, please, for the love of God, pack a can opener, and a silcock key. And if you don't know what a silcock key is, it's in residential or business centers, it is a key that has been manufactured to, um, to basically close off water like a water hose in those residential areas. So a silcock key, very inexpensive, but that allows you to access and turn on water in some of these residential areas that don't have the traditional turn knob to, for a hose. Yeah. Fun to, looks like a cross, very easy, like six or seven bucks here in the United States, easy to get at a hardware store. Um, And the last category is miscellaneous items. And this is really everything from comfort items, like for my daughter's bug out bag, she's got her, you know, I bought two of her like favorite little stuffed animals. Cause I was like, one's got to go in the emergency bag. Cause all hell will break loose if we leave her favorite, like <laughs> stuffed animal. So, you know, comfort items, if you have, uh, you know, certain things that you, you know, you just can't leave without, or you'll absolutely need sometimes miscellaneous items are your personal medication. Right. And so that's unique to everybody. So that can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. But those are some of the eight categories. And I'm sure there's a ton more, but those are the eight basic categories I would recommend covering when you're building or thinking about an emergency kit or a bug out bag, because it covers quite a bit just in those eight categories. Is there anywhere now where you feel like I am not prepared? Oh, well, tons, tons. Uh, I would love two more freezers. <laughs> I have some mm-hmm. peers in this space that have totally converted like part of their garage to just have multiple freezers. And so I look at that. I'm like, dang, I don't have a year's worth of meat stocked up. I would love to. Um, I feel that, you know, with food, cause food's tough, right? Cause food, is you're mm-hmm. always rotating through it. You're always, mm-hmm. you always have to make sure also, like, am I preserving it the right way? Um, meaning like if I have it in a refrigerator or a freezer, what do I do if the freezer suddenly goes out? Right. Or mm-hmm. if I dehydrate food, you know, how can I reconstitute that and incorporate that into recipes that I'm using? So food for me is always going to be a work in progress because I am in an urban environment. I don't have a basement. 
good old mm-hmm. California that doesn't want basements. We don't have basements here. I don't have an extra, like, I don't have vast places to store my food. I don't have a root cellar. So anything that is outside of my house is subject to the crazy shifts in temperature, which can degrade my food very quickly. So I'm stuck. I have limited, I have very limited space to work with. um, And so that directly impacts how I'm preserving my food. So food for me is always going to be a work in progress. How am I storing food? How am I buying the things that we need and rotating and making a plan? Outside of, of food, um, the, the bug out situation for me is always going to be something that is, um, you know, uh, I'm on the forefront of my mind because the situation changes all the time where I live. It's getting increasingly packed. People are moving out here. You know, a lot of people during, you know, the pandemic and the shutdown moved out of the major like high rise cities and out to the suburbs and some moved over, you know, out into the countryside, but a lot of them stayed around in the suburbs where I kind of am. So it gets trickier as more people pack in to make a plan to get out of Dodge. So those are probably the two places where I feel that I need to continue to rework my plan, make adjustments, but there's, there's so many, there's so many places in my preparedness journey that I know could use work, but those are probably the two major ones that are on my mind. You should probably just get a rooster. You could scare some I know. people away. I should get a rooster. <laughs> my goodness. Um, I should. And then I'll have renewable meat all the time. <laughs> also. Um, but it's, it's challenging. And there's a lot of people who are so again, paralyzed by the thought of what it takes to be more prepared that they, they, they don't even start. They're like, that's too much work. It's cost too much money. I don't mm. have places to put it. I have too many mouths to feed, whatever. We'll just take whatever comes at us. And some people have taken that route and it's a, it's a personal decision, but I want to remove the stigma that it takes, that you have to go into debt to be more prepared, that you have to have acreage to be prepared, that you have to have some kind of immense knowledge to even get started. I started, I, my preparedness journey started really with the exercise of building my bug out bag because we probably had to flee with the flash floods and fire, but that's how it started. And it just evolved over time. And you connect with like-minded people who are um, making, you know, strides in their own preparedness journey and you learn from them and you make, you know, what you like from that your own. So everybody starts with nothing, but you can make small changes every day to make a big impact later on. Because I think a lot of people think you have to, you know, just make these huge strides into preparedness to be, to be caught up or to be prepared. Like there is no end goal in preparedness. It's a journey. So the moment you re- you realize that you throw that out the door, like there's no milestone that you reach where you're like, I, I can breathe now. I'm prepared. It doesn't exist. It's a constant evolution of skills. Uh, and you have to just continue to chip at it every day, every week and create these goals for you and your family and just see how close you can get to it. But it's an evolution of this journey. Well, and it sounds like most of it is just your mind and and the learning. And that's why we need to start now because that learning takes a little bit of time. Um, Like in my own journey over here, um, when I just started like figuring out what plants and nature I could eat, I'd like pick up a pineapple plant and be like, oh my God, Dan, look at this. 
this is for and now I've already forgotten what it was for but I could like <laughs> name like 15 plants in the woods and how That's I would huge. use that. Um, See, I, I, had, I can't like, do that. I if you were to ask me, if you were to hold up a plant that's probably growing natively in my backyard and say, what plant is this? Is this edible? I'm like, uh, let's try it. <laughs> so that is a skill that like, that is a skill that I haven't even touched. Like people are in, incredibly good at foraging. And I can tell you with full confidence, I have not started that part of my journey and kind of ashamed about it, but it's a great skill. Like I, I have no idea. I have no idea what I like whole, what plants are in my own backyard right now. The whole thing is just, it is just an empowerment journey, right? You're like, Oh, I know something new, whether it's, I know how to grow this particular plant, or I know how to pick this particular plant, or yeah, I know how to download Bitcoin. And that took freaking weeks to figure that thing yeah. out. Yeah. Whatever it is, it doesn't mean I'm rich and have the pantry stocked or any of those things. It's just the the starting to makes you feel so much better. Yeah, equipped is the new rich, right? Being able to take take on these skills, do something hard, start something challenging and follow through. Like you can't buy that. You can't buy that tenacity to want to drive forward and really own this. You can't. So kudos to you and kudos to everybody who has said, Hey, I know this shit's going to be hard, but it's necessary. I need to do it not just for myself, but for my family, but also because it's important. So I love that. And there's, that could mean a lot of things that could mean financial preparedness that could mean, you know, first aid preparedness, you know, gardening, you know, prepping your home food layers or defense. There's, there's so many ways to go about this and places to start. Yeah. And I think we are in a, we're in a wild world right now. And yeah, I, I don't think it's a luxury right now to think that we don't need to prepare in some way. We are in a world where we all need to be better, stronger yes. more in whatever ways we can. I love that. Um, I think the, the biggest message that I try to to say on, on platforms is just to start now, just to start, just to start something, start somewhere. I think people, once they actually start, no matter what their starting point is, they realize that it wasn't as big as and scary as they thought. And it didn't take as much work and effort and money that they initially thought, right? I think yeah. we get in our heads a lot. I do too. Probably why I haven't started foraging. <laughs> Because I'm like, oh, that's a lot to remember. Um, But you just start and you can gauge pretty quickly what level of effort you want to put into it and what, what, you know, what you're going to get out of it and kind of make adjustments in your journey and then plan. I I hate to make it sound like as simple as like just plan, but take a step towards it. And you'd be surprised how much you actually already know. There's a lot of people that are starting their preparedness journey just in my own circle of friends that are really freaking good at self-defense, but maybe they need to learn gardening and vice versa. We have some really amazing gardeners that never really thought of this as a major part of of their preparedness journey, but probably suck at like financial preparedness. There are so Mm -hmm. many ways and we can learn so much from each other, but we need to start having these conversations because we can't pretend anymore. Like we're not going to be subject to these disasters or global events. Like, the last couple of years alone have shown us that we are. 
and it directly impacts each and every one of us. So people can get a ton of good free information on, on your Instagram account here. Um, is there anywhere else that they should go to find you or to learn from you? I am working on my YouTube. I'm not going to promise anything right now. It's a work in progress, but I do plan to have more in-depth um, videos um, on YouTube just because that platform is easier for like larger, larger videos and, and connections. But I love connecting with people for podcasts and workshops just like this. So um, I know I should compile like, where people I've met and I've talked to and I'll work on that. But Instagram houses most of my content just because it's easy for me to push out content on Instagram and I have amazing, you know, connections and community on there too. And Des is, uh, her content is funny, which if you know me, I, I appreciate a great deal because- I love your content because it's so funny. <laughs> I do love it. I'm slowly slipping into purely a meme account at this point. <laughs> I love it. I'm here for it. Awesome, Des. Well, I, I appreciate everything that you're doing so much. Thank you for this conversation. And I, I love that you're helping people see that just because they live in the city, it doesn't mean that they are exempt from this conversation or should ignore this conversation. Yes. Act now. Take a look at what you can do as far as small changes. And I promise you, I promise you they will add up to big waves. But I appreciate you saving space for these types of conversations. I think they're absolutely necessary. I'm so pumped that you have a community, a community, sorry, I can't even speak now, a community where you can have and host these conversations amongst a lot of other topics. So incredible work. Thank you, Des. We'll have to have you back here soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Hey guys, I hope you liked today's episode. Please consider hitting the subscribe button and telling your friends about us. If you enjoyed today's episode or you know someone that can benefit from this, please share it to your Instagram uh, stories and tag us. If you tag us, we'll make sure to highlight that on our own channel so we start to build this freedom community together. I deeply appreciate each and every one of you. And if you have questions for any of our guests or recommendations for someone that you'd like to see on the show, please send us an email to carlajoytreadway at gmail.com. We'll see you guys next time.